Hello, everybody. This is Michael Chartier, your Senior Director of State Relations, welcoming you to another EdChoice chat here in the studio at the 26th floor of Salesforce Tower. Joining me, uh, Lauren Hodge. Hi there. Glad to be here this afternoon. And on the phone from the Annex West in sunny and warming up Arizona, Jason Bedrick. Yes, happy to be here this morning. It's afternoon here, so got to love the time changes. So we'll get right into it. So this is a podcast looking at what happened in the month of May and uh, moving forward and maybe talking about some things that might be happening in June. And spoiler alert, we actually know a few things that happened in June because uh, this is podcast is being recorded in June. Um, but we'll get right down to some of the states that had some legislative movement in May. I know that Jason's going to be leading off with the other sunny state, uh, the state of Florida. Jason, you want to tell some folks what's happened down in Florida? Yeah, so we talked about a little bit about last month that the Florida legislature passed SB 7070, which is an it was an omnibus uh, education bill that, among other things, contained a new voucher program that will serve 18,000 children from low and middle income families. So, as regular listeners know, Florida has a uh, the largest tax credit scholarship program in the country, serving nearly 100,000 students. And there was a wait list of about 14,000 students. So this is going to fully fund the wait list uh, with these vouchers and even have uh, a few extra for other families that might uh, want to apply. Uh, And it should grow by about 7,000 students per year. Uh, So that's great. Florida also, in their state budget, included a $23 million increase for the Gardener Scholarship Program, which is an education savings account program for students with special needs. Uh, So Florida was certainly on the forefront this year of expanding educational choice options. Uh, You know, and of course, uh, they're already the state that that really has the most educational choice already. So certainly blazing a trail that uh, other states should follow. Jason, what do you think about, as you pointed out, Florida is sort of blazing the trail for school choice. It's got multiple programs at this point. You know, what are your thoughts on having, you know, should a state do one big program? And if they can get that done, or you think the state should go the Florida route of, you know, having multiple programs, each serving different constituencies? You know, do you have a thought on what's preferable or anything like that? I think that really depends on the local context. You know, ideally, every state would have a program or multiple programs that would have the net effect of providing educational choice for every single child. Uh, But whether the the right approach is to have just one program that does that or to have multiple that have the net effect of doing that, uh, I can't say in general. I think that's that's up to each state's particular context. Got it. I was just curious if you had any thoughts about that, because I was just kind of thinking, as I was looking at the map of states, I was like, well, you know, there are states like... uh, Indiana, they have one sort of big program, and well, I guess we have two, but the tax credit and the, the voucher, but you got Florida that's got a handful of programs, and they seem to be chugging along just fine. I was curious if you had any thoughts about that. Yeah, and I mean, even Florida's, Florida has, you know, the, the largest tax credit, the largest really school choice program uh, of any type for private school choice in the country, and that's its tax credit scholarship program. The ESA, again, only for now, serves those students with special needs. The interesting thing is that the voucher program serves essentially the same student population as the tax credit scholarship program. 
the major difference is the funding mechanism. Instead of a tax credit, it's directly funded by the state. And so I, I think that going forward, there are those in Florida who believe that they may have maxed out the amount of revenue that they can generate via the tax credit. And so like the district school system and charter schools, they want to move in the direction of uh, direct public funding so that they will be able to achieve scale. So it wouldn't shock me if at some point in the future, not the near future, but you know, maybe 10 or so years out, that they actually switch over to an entirely publicly funded system. Uh, and very possibly by that point as well, we'll see them move from a voucher to the ESA. I think that uh, right now, they're still working out some of the kinks. They're still trying to move from the sort of receipt-based system that they have to an online platform that will make it much more user-friendly for families to, to use the ESA and also uh, have a, a much greater de degree of uh, financial accountability and also academic accountability because uh, their online platform is going to include user reviews so that uh, and, and other sorts of information so that families, when they're using their ESA to select from various uh, schools and uh, other education providers, would be able to, to see how effective those various providers and goods and services are. So I, I expect that at some point when the system is ready to reach scale, we will see Florida move in the direction of a universal uh, education savings account program. Uh, but again, uh, you know, if they maybe if they had enacted that right away, first of all, probably wouldn't have been very difficult politically. Second of all, if they had done it right away, the system may just not have been ready. They really needed to build the infrastructure, uh, like I said, work out some of the kinks, and then I think they're going to get there. So, in that sense, I think Florida was wise to take an incremental approach, but always having that universal goal in mind. That was, a, as always, a very thorough answer. No, that, that makes complete sense to me, Jason. What other states were you going to talk about? I believe Pennsylvania, and then briefly mention Illinois? Yeah, so in Pennsylvania, we've been tracking HB 800, uh, which is the bill that is going to increase the amount of tax credits available for their tax credit scholarship program by about $100 million, and actually include an inflator, or in some states call it an escalator, which would allow it to grow by 10% per year. Interestingly, Arizona, they just passed legislation that phases out their inflator. Uh, and that's because the program has already been growing for uh, you know, more than a decade and a half, and uh, actually about 20 years uh, it's been growing. Uh, so it started off very small, but those familiar with the magic of compounding interest uh, understand that it can actually, uh, you know, it, it grows quite quite quickly after it reaches a certain size. So they are phasing it out. It's uh, Right now it's, uh, it grows at 20% a year. It's phasing down to 15, 10, 5, and the greater of 2 or inflation. So it's going to grow by about another $150 million. And so... That's real money. It is real money, yes, uh, very much. So it's, it's, the concern in Arizona was that at a certain point, it would actually consume all of the business taxes. And so... They need those taxes to run all sorts of other state programs, uh, you know, emergency services and healthcare and whatnot. So they wanted to limit it at a certain point, but it, it has grown tremendously over the years. 
and will, because of the uh, inflation, it will at least continue to keep up with inflation. Uh, and then in Pennsylvania, it has not yet really reached scale. So that's why they're going to be hopefully adding this inflator. The bill was sponsored by the Speaker of the House. Uh, it passed with uh, the support of 100% of the Republican caucus and a fair number of Democrats as well. So it did have bipartisan support, and that is now going over to the state Senate. So we will see, but um, many are hopeful that uh, this will actually pass. And then uh, we don't really know what the governor is going to do. He's kept uh, his views pretty close to his chest. So, uh, But we should probably find out uh, within the next month or so. We got it. We'll definitely continue to, to, to watch that as it moves through the process. I know that Lauren was going to uh, give us an update on uh, North Carolina. Oh, sorry. Did I cut you off, Jason? Did you have? Oh, actually, well, just uh, one last state really quickly. And this wasn't in May, but this did happen at the very beginning of June. Uh, we see that in Illinois... We've been watching for an effort to actually phase out the state's tax credit scholarship program. So this was a bill that was passed uh, as a part of a compromise between then-Governor Rauner two years ago in 2017, and uh, he's a Republican, uh, and the, the Democratic state legislature. They were at an impasse over the budget. And the way they broke that was to reach a compromise. Part of that compromise was a $100 million tax credit scholarship program that would help uh, potentially tens of thousands of low- and middle-income students in Illinois. But it had a five-year sunset clause. Uh, so in a few years, it would be disappearing. This year, they have a Democratic governor, Governor Pritzker. He was... Uh, talking about putting the scholarship program on the chopping block, phasing it out faster than the, those five years, and then using the revenue that uh, they wouldn't be losing to the tax credits for other things. Now, interestingly, it wouldn't actually have saved the state any money because the value of the scholarships is uh, lower than what they are spending the state level on a per-pupil basis. But in any case, that was the plan. But there was a lot of grassroots pushback, especially from the parents who have children participating in the program. There was a, a massive effort to have those families, thousands of those families, contact their legislators, come to the state capitol, share their stories. And so Governor Pritzker's office announced late last week that they would be backing off of putting the scholarship program on the chopping block in the state budget. Uh, and so it looks like the program is going to be safe for now, at least until it's time for the sunset to kick in. And of course, hopefully before then, those same families uh, will be able to persuade the legislature to extend the life of the program. Okay, we hope that uh, it continues on for those those kids. I know that $100 million is definitely helping out a lot of kids and the state of Illinois. So we'll definitely continue to keep an eye on that. Moving here into the studio, I know that Lauren is going to give us an update on some uh, budget issues that happened in uh, North Carolina that's going to affect uh, the school choice programs out there. So Lauren, why don't you give us an update on, on what happened in North Carolina? Yes, thanks so much, and and happy to talk about North Carolina. And I give um, my first caveat, as as you know, I like to speak in disclaimers always. It's a byproduct of law school and litigation. So what I'm about to talk to you guys about is not passed yet. It is coming to you from the appropriations bill in North Carolina. 
it has passed both chambers, but we're waiting to see what's going to happen to it next. And if passed, it would be a pretty big deal. What it would do is structurally change the way that the programs are functioning in North Carolina. So in the words of one of my favorite professors, the best way to look forward is to first look back. North Carolina has three choice programs. They have an opportunity scholarship program, which is a voucher-style program, and that is for low-income children. They then have two other programs in North Carolina that will have a special needs focus, and that would be the education savings account and the voucher. So what the proposed appropriation bill has in it is the combination of the special needs programs into a single education savings account program. And so for those of you that are familiar with North Carolina and know more about that history, the very first special needs program to pass there was the voucher-style program, which um, was passed in 2013, enacted in 2014, and those were for children that had an individualized education plan, an IEP, and were receiving services on a daily basis. Then they came along with an education savings account. For children with special needs, in particular, those with um, more aggravated special needs, those that maybe had a more robust portfolio of needs, including additional services, things like the educational therapies, things like physical therapy, speech therapies. And that was kind of the, the niche that the education savings account helped fill. And so what has been happening in North Carolina over a number of years is that the two special needs program are stackable. So you could apply essentially for both of them and try and get both of them into your bucket, so to speak, uh, to be using for school choice. And so in the 2019 appropriations bill, what they're talking about doing is combining both of those special needs programs into a single ESA. The value per pupil would be about $9,000 for a full-time student, $4,500 for a part-time student. And then if you have a A select number of disabilities, including autism, more moderate to severe mobility disabilities, you can have up to $17,000 put into that education savings account. What's a unique feature of the proposed structure is that this would then be stackable with the Opportunity Scholarship Program. And so that's a new feature that could potentially come into play into North Carolina, where if you are also a child that is in a low-income family, there would be another bucket to possibly pull from. So this isn't through yet. And as we've noted, I think a couple of times throughout this year, North Carolina's been all over the place as far as the school choice legislation's gone. We've seen programs that have tried to expand school choice and simplify the regulations around it. We've seen bills that have tried to sunset it out. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next with this part of the appropriations bill you know, it's 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 too early to tell, but it's certainly something that we are continuing to watch. Thank you, Lauren, for that update. I always find it fascinating that, you know, each of these states are so different. You've got states that are repealing programs, states that are expanding programs, states that are combining programs. I mean, really is kind of the laboratory of democracy all over the place. And even on the same coast, different states doing different things. So that's it exactly. So we'll we'll stay tuned. Thank you for that. So I'll give, I think, the last update for the last true sort of May update, and then might tease some stuff about June. That brings us to the volunteer state, the state of Tennessee. I think that most of our listeners know that that the state uh, passed uh, what they were calling an ESA program. I think we're looking at it more as a voucher program or some sort of a voucher plus program. 
basically requires that students attend a private school um, in some form or fashion and then are able to spend money on other things. So there is that tie-in to, the, uh, to a private school. Um, but again, it's uh, so Governor Bill Lee in, in May signed HB 939 into law. So that was passed by both of the chambers, both House and the Senate in May. They went to a conference committee, fought it out back and forth. You can probably follow some of the news coverage. There were some stories written about how that happened. Um, you know, there was infighting back and forth, and there was some allegations of some, you know, of of campaign money being used to, you know, get legislators' votes and whatnot, and all of that's well documented uh, in the news media. But uh, you know, after all of that happened, uh, basically there was a conference committee report that was adopted by both chambers, and again, Governor Bill Lee signed that uh, that bill into law. Basically, what that does is it creates a um, low-income, geographically restricted program for students in two counties, and that's Davidson and Shelby counties. So only kids in those two counties are able to utilize the program. And that was kind of done to, you know, uh, I guess as I understand it, and from what I read in the news basically helped some legislators uh, be able to say, look, this program is going to affect kids that desperately need it in those two counties, but my county is fine. Uh, we don't need a choice program, so we'll put it, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll allow it for those counties, but it won't affect me. So that was you know, some sort of a political compromise to help sort of get votes in order to pass the program. Uh, the funding is equal to, basically to the average state and local funding that the student receive in public schools. So it's a it's a large amount of money compared to some of the other choice programs, and 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 again that that will only come from the state portion, but it will be equal to what the what that student would have received um, in both places. And the students required to take the state test. Now we've seen what's happened with that particular piece of uh, regulation in terms of the, the uh, Louisiana program, how that uh, has potentially stopped some higher performing schools from taking part in the program. Because they think they've got this education thing down, they don't want to mess with things. So they know that you know if they continue to do what they're doing, it's working well for them. They're not going to change to take the state test because that would not be beneficial to them. But other other schools that maybe don't have as high enrollment, they have declining enrollment. I know that Jason has wrote extensively on this, and uh, as well as uh, Matt Ladner on, on Jay Green's blog, that they've looked at schools with declining enrollment are more likely to take advantage of the program because they need that that additional uh, revenue. I mean, they're willing to, to perhaps uh, take the state test and change up their educational requirement to make that happen. So we'll continue to follow that to see uh, what happens in Tennessee. Um, there's also some potential for uh, constitutional litigation. I know there's a couple of avenues that's already being talked about in terms of suing the program and stopping that program from taking place. We know what happens when that happens, like what happened in Nevada. I know that we're going to be talking a little bit about Nevada here later on in the program. But, you know, I know that that, that litigation is probably going to happen. We haven't heard anything definitive yet, but it looks like there are people that are interested in suing the state to stop the implementation of the program. So we will continue to follow that. uh, And as we hear more, we'll continue to update you guys on the podcast. So I think that's the end of the May portion of the state state update. I know that I'll give you guys just a quick kind of tease here about what happened in June. The state of West Virginia uh, went back into special session, I guess the West Virginia Senate, I went back in a special session on June the 1st, and the state senates passed out a bill for uh, families of incomes under $150,000 that were in uh, public school in the prior year to be able to utilize an education savings account. That bill was passed out of the state senate and moves over to the House of Delegates, 
where they will go back in a special session on June the 17th. Um, so we will continue to monitor that and, and probably update you uh, on what happens in that in June. Likewise, the Nevada legislature, Signe died this month, June. Two big school choice things. One, they kept the Opportunity Scholarships Program, the tax credit scholarship program's current funding levels intact. So the kids that are utilizing that program will continue to be utilizing that program. But then on the last day of session, they voted to repeal uh, the ESA program. Um, so currently that's waiting for Governor Sisolak, uh, his signature or veto. Um, it sounds like the governor is going to be signing that p- particular piece of legislation. So the next time we talk, the Nevada ESA program might be repealed in full. So we will continue to monitor that development in Nevada, and we will continue to, to provide updates on that. So that's a good little uh, teaser for what's uh, going to happen next week. I know that Jason wanted to jump in and kind of tease something that he's writing on about the tale of three states, I think it was, Jason? Yes, well, I mean, the interesting thing is, I mean, look, we, we know that there is a lot of bipartisan support among the rank and file, and and we know that even among elected officials, uh, there are um, there's bipartisan support and opposition to school choice. But in general, in most states, it's the case that the Republicans tend to be more supportive uh, and that the Democrats tend to be uh, more in opposition. And there were three state legislatures this year that had uh, Democratic majorities where they tried to either uh, eliminate a school choice program or phase it out or divert uh, resources from the program. Uh, And those states were New Hampshire, Nevada, and Illinois. And yet we see that uh, in Illinois, uh, they did not succeed at uh, phasing out the program on an expedited schedule. In New Hampshire, there's uh, still the state budget to contend with, uh, but there were three bills that would have either eliminated the program entirely or reduced its funding or diverted its revenue stream. Uh, All three of those bills were tabled, uh, some of them with uh, very lopsided majorities uh, in in favor of tabling the legislation. And then in Nevada, as you mentioned, there were uh, two programs. One of them, uh, the funding level was preserved and the other was eliminated. The one where the funding level is preserved is the tax credit scholarship, which has students actually participating. The one that was eliminated is on the books, but thanks to the combination of a legal challenge followed by a change in the legislature, never actually got off the ground. It's on the books only. It has never had a single dollar allocated to it, and so no children whose families applied for the program ever received an ESA. Therefore, uh, that was the only program that was actually eliminated. And, and uh, you know, probably Leslie will be talking about this on a later podcast, uh, but there will be a legal challenge. It's not clear that the way that bill was passed was constitutional. It because it was raising taxes, it probably required a two-thirds majority, and they did not get that. So it's a question of whether that whole bill is going to be declared unconstitutional or maybe just the portions of it that raise taxes. There's a whole legal fight on that, so there's, there's an asterisk. But as, in terms of what the legislature actually did, the only program that has been legislatively repealed has been this one program that was not actually being implemented in all of these other states, even with very large 
in some cases, uh, Democratic majorities, uh, in a few chambers, actually, supermajorities. Thus far, they have been unable to repeal a program that is actually serving families uh, who, uh, as we saw in Illinois, as I mentioned, there were thousands of families. These are low-income, mostly minority families who showed up at the state legislature. This is a face on the program, and they're saying, please don't take our scholarships away. Uh, that was a very powerful message, and the legislators listened to their constituents and did not eliminate the program. Uh, so I think that this is, uh, even though those in the school choice movement are, are uh, many, many of them uh, feel very discouraged by what happened in Nevada, uh, I think that if we step back and look at the whole picture, um, we should be uh, actually very encouraged. Uh, the opponents of school choice really uh, have only been able to slow down our momentum, and they have never actually been able to take a scholarship away from a family that is using it to give their child a quality education. So it's really a matter of uh, when, not if, when it comes to school choice. Just like Milton Friedman used to say. Well, thank you, Jason, and thank you, Lauren. With that, I think I will sign die this podcast. If anyone has any uh, comments, questions, or anything they'd like us to talk about, please email us at media at edchoice.org. Again, that's media at edchoice.org. Please sign up to receive our podcasts at iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Follow us on social media at edchoice. Again, that's at edchoice. And please sign up for our email updates at www.edchoice.org. Thank you very much for listening to this May podcast. We will I look forward to talking to you in July about the things that happened in the month of June. With that, everybody, thank you very much, and have a good day.